Um, also, we are emphasizing um, our scripture memory. We have been doing this, and and even this week as we emphasize this, uh, even this last week as we emphasize that I've heard some stories back. It's very exciting to me about how it's really, I mean, it's it's challenging people. And I understand that there's a person here today that heard about this and decided she wanted to be a part of it. And she started meeting with the ladies on Thursday night and they were up through verse 18 of chapter one of Philippians. And she memorized all 18 of those verses in two days so that she, four days, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I was trying to give her, I was really making it sound good. But anyway, so that was Katrina, and we really appreciate that. I, I know that uh, it will it will certainly bless you. But we're going to emphasize that again this week. We're going to uh, push through till we've basically demonstrated that we have memorized the whole book of Philippians. So Matt, if you'll come up here. Matt did chapter 1 for us, but um, I'm making him do chapter 3 as well. You better get a mic, yeah. <clears throat> So, anyway, how, how long have we been in it? Uh, almost five months now. Yeah, it's been a while. And I asked you this the first time, and I'm going to ask you again. What, what have you seen in your life because of it? I see myself loving the Word. Um, I, I see more in the Scriptures than I ever saw before. Um, and I see it... A, Changing, I, I see myself thinking of it when I think of, as, as I go through life, as I go through different situations, the scripture comes to mind. And so um, when it's just sitting there ready because you, you've memorized it and thought on it so long, it, it, you just find that it applies to so much more than you could have ever thought. Absolutely. And it challenges us in different ways every week. I mean, yeah. We get something every week. So It's a, it's a good time. All right. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same, same things to you is of no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Um, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. <clears throat> For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject even all things unto himself. You did it. Good job. Um, I'm excited about next week. It will, for some of us that have been working in it, we actually will be done with Philippians this Wednesday night. Um, and so next week we'll... I've got something special for you guys next week. If you got other plans, cancel them. I think it'll be I think it'll be a great blessing for you. Be here. Um, tell your friends about it. It uh, it's going to be good. But uh, along with that, we are starting not this Wednesday night, but the following Wednesday night, a 12-week study into Philippians on Wednesday night. It's a video study done by Matt Chandler. Uh, so it's, we we know that it's going to be good, solid stuff. 
Um, if you're not involved with something on a Wednesday evening and need a Bible study during the week, um, Matt, raise your hand again. It's his house we meet at. We'll watch the study. We'll discuss it. There's study guides that go along with it. Um, and then the women, I know the women are planning on using that as well on Thursday nights. So um, anyway, well, let's, let's pray again. Thank God for his word. Um, it is sometimes challenging, but it's encouraging. It gives us a it gives us correction, and it gives us, uh, or it gives us reproof, or it shows us the error of our ways, and it gives us correction. It, it demonstrates a right way to go. So uh, let's pray before we go to his word and read, and then uh, just ask that he bless us today as we read and learn from it. Father, we do thank you that you are the sovereign, holy, righteous, perfect, independent, merciful, graceful, loving God that you've shown yourself to be in your word. And that you fulfill your promises, that as your word goes out, as your, as your, as your uh, word moves, that it doesn't return to you void, that it does the work it's intended to do. We thank you that there is um, fruit from reading it, that there is a challenge in us, that there's, that there's meaning and, and benefit. We thank you that it connects us back to you we thank you that it prepares us for righteous, or the, the righteous works that you have for us. We thank you that we can learn from it, that we can be grown spiritually by it, encouraged by it, blessed by it. Thank you for, for giving it to us. I do pray, God, that as we stop today, in the midst of all we have going on and the, and the lives that we live and the, the busyness that, that is so prevalent in our society and our culture, that you'd speak through your word, that, that you would give me a voice to bring explanation and expound on it that brings application and challenge and encouragement. Father, I just pray that in this moment, as we, as we move into this, that we will be moved to love and adore you. The work that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, the work that you're going to do in the days ahead, in us and through us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, life, as it happens, different things happen along the way. And there's, sometimes there's, there's things that happen in my life that make me think really about, especially as I've gotten busier and busier and busier in life, I, I sometimes think, what is it that I can do that can make this the most meaningful, that I can get the greatest return out of it, or that bears the most fruit, really? Because it's not the most return necessarily for me. My life, it, it's not necessarily about me anymore um, in, in many things. I mean, I, I still struggle with that, but, but how, do I, how do I see the most fruit born out of my life? You know, I've got one life to live. We all have one life to live. There's, there's this one, one, one path that we get to walk. And so there's things that happen as I, as I make decisions about what I'm involved in or, or, or what I actually spend time doing, how I spend my money. How can it most make the greatest impact in the world around me? How can it, how can it bring the greatest effect? You know, I've spent my time living like the people in the soap opera One Life to Live. I've, I've spent my time in those drama, just these drama-soaked situations that, man, they're just drenched with trouble and, and pain and suffering and just wondering how in the world am I going to make it through this. And most of the time that was because I was making stupid decisions. I was living for myself and I just was trying to fill my own selfish desire, fulfill my own selfish desires. And I'm so, I'm so glad that I'm, I'm past that cycle of life where those things happen over and over and over and I'm just constantly dealing with those things. As I've matured, I want my life to count. I want it to matter. Last week as we met and talked and looked at Acts chapter 6, the beginning of Acts chapter 6, I talked to you about distractions, things that could potentially pull our focus away from the thing that God has for us, the thing that He's intended for us to do. You know, uh, the apostles, as we saw in Acts chapter 6, in the beginning of Acts chapter 6, their, their need and their, their, their purpose was to preach and to pray, to lead the church in that way. 
and they understood that this is the most important thing for us to do. But we can't forget this thing. We can't forget the mercy that needs to be shared with these widows. These, the true religion of, of bestowing a, a goodness and a, a good work towards people who can't fend for themselves. We can't forget this. We've got to do this. But we can't be distracted. And so as I talked to you about that last week, I asked you and, and challenged you to consider the distractions in your own life. What's distracting you from that thing that God's calling you to do? Is it maybe even a good thing? But it's pulled you away and drawn your attention from the holy work that God has for you to do. Well, this week, as we move further into the, to the chapter, we'll get a specific look at Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven disciples or one of the seven men chosen to, to fix this problem, to deal with this problem. And we'll get a specific look at his life. But in so doing, I think we will be given the positive way for us to move forward. I, I told you that as, as we open, I told you that Scripture, the Word of God, gives us reproof, which is a demonstration of our error, the wrong thinking. We're thinking wrong about something. And then it gives us correction. It gives us a positive way to move forward. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. The reproof is the showing of your error. The correction is the positive way you move forward. And training in righteousness, making you ready to be righteous, making you ready for the righteous works that you have to do. Sanctifying you, cleansing you, helping you remove sin from your life. It's important. And so this week, as, as, we, as we pull away from looking at what distracts us, I want to point us to a place where we can move forward positively. Don't do these things anymore that we talked about last week. Don't, don't partake in the things that distract you any longer. But as you pull away from those distractions and it frees your life and, it, and, and suddenly you have the time to move and, and, and maybe money to, to do the things that the Lord's leading you to do, what do you do? You fill it with the work that God has for you to do. And I think we'll see that borne out in Stephen's life. Acts chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 8, and we'll read through 15. I guess I need to be there myself. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians, Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. You know, by the time we get to this point in, in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem, the, it, it, is, it has grown massively. I mean, they've seen amazing works of God. They've seen some struggles and in the, in the inworkings of sin within their own people. They've seen the struggles that, that continue to, to be part of everyday life. In a sense, though, Jerusalem at this point had this, had this huge, it would be probably consistent with what we consider a megachurch. I mean, there's just this huge number of people, thousands of people that would gather and listen to the apostles' teaching. And then they would, they would and they did it regularly. They would meet in Solomon's portico. And, and then they would go and they'd meet from house to house and they would gather in small groups. And they weren't sequestered off from the world. It wasn't as if they gathered in this place and, and never let the world see them interact with one another. In fact, they were doing it in a way that the whole world could see, or at least the world around them could see what God was doing in them and through them in one another's lives. Over and over and over you see that happening as the book of Acts unfolds. And so you come to this point, and you come to this place where these widows are crying out because they're feeling left out, and there needs to be help. And the apostles look around and they're like, 
we've got to share the leadership. We've got to share the ministry. And so they say, look, you need to find some some spirit-filled people, some people who are of good repute. And they give these qualifications that, that demonstrates the importance of this work that they're about to do. And they say, you need to find these men, put them in charge of it, and let them deal with it. Let them handle it so that we can focus on what we've got to do. And one of those men was Stephen. And Stephen, we don't know a whole lot about him. We don't, we don't get, a, get a great understanding of him from from uh, the Bible. I mean, really, this is the place that speaks about him, and, and this is what we have, about, have to know about him. But what we can see readily is that God has done an amazing work in him. God has done a huge work in him. I mean, if you consider this, thousands of people, thousands of people in the church at this point. Thousands. I mean, at one point there was 3,000 people that came to believe. Then there's another point that 2,000 men came to believe. So we don't know how many women and children are in there. Some people make estimates of, of 20,000. I, I don't know if it's that many. But I know it was thousands. I mean, essentially Jerusalem has become evangelized. Plenty of more people to hear this gospel. Plenty of more people that need to understand what Jesus has done. But essentially Jerusalem has become evangelized and it's made a huge impact in their life. And Stephen, a Hellenist Jew, a Greek-speaking Jew, out of thousands of people, along with six other men, is looked at and said, he's one of the ones we want. He's one of the ones that need to do this. And if his name in the position of the list demonstrates anything to us, it's that he's the leader of these men. So he's kind of the one that, that leads this group of men in making sure that this ministry is completed. And, and, and so we can see that, that Stephen, probably a, a Jew that loved the law, probably based on his, his, his sermon that he's going to preach in the next chapter, or the, at least the speech he's going to give, based on that, he understood the history of Israel. He understood the teachings. He, he knew what was going on. He had a comprehension of it. So in all likelihood, he was a man who, who loved the law and who lived in a righteous way, who uh, observed the sacrifices and observed the things that, that they were called to do. He was given to it, I think. But something had happened because he wasn't just a Jew anymore. Something had changed him. Something had converted him. And I think we learn in the, in the first part of chapter 6, where it says that, that they were full of the Spirit. It, it tells us Stephen is full of the Spirit, faith and full of the Spirit. I mean, those are things that happened because of the work of God in him. God had done something beautiful in this man. And honestly, that's really not any different than he does in any other believer's life. The truth is that if you sit here as a believer today, if you sit here as a person who's sold out to the, to the cross and understands that it's through the cross and the power of the resurrection that brings you life and that your life is given to that, it's because God has done a beautiful work in you. He's opened your eyes to the truth. He's given you sight to see. He's given you ears to hear. He's given you a mouth now to speak it and to proclaim it and to respond to it. Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's a, that's a, that's a result of the work of God. And Stephen, this man, picked out from among thousands, God had done something very special in him. It changed him. And here he is, he's, he's, he's now said to be full of grace and of power. Demonstrating that, that this is the work of God, this grace, it's an unmerited goodness. It's not something that Stephen went to, went to the temple and began to do all of these all of these rituals and, and all of these traditional things to do. And he said, all right, God, now you can give me this gift. No, God looked at him and decided to give him these gifts. Decided to work in him with his power. Unmerited goodness can't be earned. Will never be deserved. And, and he's full of that. And power, meaning that it's God's power, and it's a power that enables him to do supernatural things. The way the Greek breaks out, the way the, the way the text actually breaks out, demonstrates that this is something that didn't happen in Stephen once he was chosen. Once, once they said, okay, you're one of the seven. It's something he had been doing. It's something that had been going on in his life since he had been converted. And he had this power and this grace. And he was walking around and he was doing miraculous things all along. And people saw that and they said, that guy is special. 
God is at work in him. There's something going on in his life. And they brought him in to lead this. To lead this. And, and, and what's so cool about this, I think that we see in response to God's work, in response to God's work in, in verse uh, 8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power. He has this. He, he's, got, he's got this going on in him. But rather than sitting at home on a couch, he's out using it. He, he's out engaging the world around him with it. It says that he's full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Every one of us, every one of us, there's not a person sitting in this room that, that, that's a believer in Jesus Christ that has been converted from death to life. There's not a one of us that haven't experienced this miracle. You were dead and you have been made alive. The power of God and His grace is on you. What are we doing with it? Last week I asked you, are you distracted? Have you given yourself to something that draws away from the glory of God in your life? As you recognize that, I want you to think now. How might you be out doing works that bring God glory and wonderful works and signs among the people? How might people look at you and see that you are full of grace and power? Because even in the smallest measure, even in the smallest measure, it's a powerful thing that can work great miracles. I'm sure maybe you can't walk up to somebody and say, you can't walk now, but in the name of Jesus, right? Maybe you can't do that. Maybe, maybe you can't walk up to someone that's deaf and say, let me, let me touch your ears and, and they can hear. But what you can do is share with them the truth of God's Word that's already bearing fruit in you. What do you think it's going to do in them? What's going to happen when you bring truth to people? going to do what God intended it to do. You know, some people are going to get mad and they're going to reject it and they're going to walk away. But they're going to have heard the truth. And some people are going to hear it and it's going to spark something in them and the Spirit is going to take it. It's going to do a work in them. He's going to take what was dead, spiritually without hope, empty, lifeless. He's going to bring it to life. We get to be a part of that work. We can do those things. Well, here he is. He's, he's, he's this man of God. He's got this power from God. He's full of God's unmerited goodness. And he's walking around. He's living life. And he's letting everybody know it. He's working and doing these miracles and, and, and demonstrating these signs. And, and, and whenever it talks about signs... It demonstrates that those things that he was doing, they weren't just to bring him him glory. It wasn't like it wasn't like Stephen was walking around trying to build a following of his own. Those signs represented the work of God, and somehow point back to God and bring God the glory, and, and, and point to the gospel and the work that God's doing in the world. So there's there he is. He's out there doing it. What happens? People got mad. They got upset with him. It's against the way that they teach. They didn't like it. In all likelihood, Stephen being full of grace and power, it was offensive to them because in all likelihood, he had come from one of these groups of people. He's a Jew, a Hellenist Jew living in Jerusalem. And in all likelihood, he was connected to one of these synagogues, one of these, one of these groups of people that gathered and worshipped in, in these synagogues. He, is probably, he probably knew these people. And now they're upset with him. So we see him full of grace of power, and then we see him facing criticism and conflict. All of these people mad. And what do you do with a guy that lives such a good life? What do you do? You start telling lies. 
I mean, consider this. Consider it. Think about it. One of seven from thousands. His life was maybe not flawless, probably not flawless. He was still a man. But boy, he was probably above reproach. He was of good repute, full of the Spirit. His life was exemplary in, in, in most ways, I would imagine. You could have looked at Stephen and followed his example and lived in a godly way. So what do they do? They lie. Now, they weren't necessarily lying about the things that he said. I mean, probably Stephen did teach against the law of Moses and its, and its power to bring righteousness. He probably did say that the law of Moses won't bring you salvation. He probably did say that methods and tradition was changing. He probably did say that Jesus had brought in a new order and that the old order of things had gone. He probably said those things. In fact, those were the very things that made them mad. But it's interesting because much like Jesus... Standing there, being accused by these people who were using things that he had said against him, taking them out of context and and, and using them in ways that that was misappropriating the truth. For example, like with Jesus, they said, you know, and and they blamed Stephen, they they accused Stephen of this as well, that that Jesus was going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, Jesus obviously wasn't talking about the temple as they saw it. He was talking about himself. And he showed that and he proved it as he was crucified and resurrected. Obviously, the things that Stephen is teaching, absolutely, he's saying these things to them. The law of Moses, it's going to reveal your sin. It's going to demonstrate to you that you need a Savior. It's never going to provide you the righteousness you need. But in Christ, you can have this. And the the law of Moses demands that we provide a sacrifice. But the cross gave us the sacrifice. In Jesus, we have our Savior. In Jesus, we have our atonement. In Jesus, we have our forgiveness. Trust in Him. Leave these things behind. Sure, He said those things. He needed to say those things. They needed to hear these things. But then they look at Him and they say, well, He's saying these things. It it can't be true. And they're, and they're accusing them. They're, they're bringing these people who are bringing false accusations, not saying that they are accusing him of lies. They're bringing false accusations as, as if they're not true. And they're calling him a blasphemer when he was truly honoring God. They're saying he's the one against God. He's the one that, that, that is standing in, in the face of God and, and telling him he's not the, what he says he is. He, he's the one that's standing against God. And so they're making these accusations and they're lying about it. All because his life was such that they couldn't do anything else. As we pull back from the world, as we pull back and away from the world, as we are converted and we are shown the error of our ways, and we, we see that what we have bought into is, is really a bunch of lies, as we pull back from that, the call is to live such a holy life that it becomes distinct in the world that people see it and notice the difference. That's exactly what Stephen was doing. But even in the face of it, in the face of the accusations, I mean, imagine what it's like. This this didn't happen in uh, 8 through 15. It didn't happen in seven verses for Stephen. You know, it's not like they arrested him and assembled the council and got this all together in a matter of about 30 seconds. That didn't happen. This was something that happened over a period of time, maybe, maybe, maybe a couple of hours, maybe, maybe overnight. We're, we're not totally sure. We're not exactly sure how long it all happened. We're, we're getting this view from way back, and we're, we're getting the overview of it. And Stephen is being persecuted. He's being ridiculed. He's being lied about. And in the face of it, as his accusers look on, he's feeling peace. And they look at him and and his face is like an angel. 
And there's, there's this idea that there's this radiance shining from it. Some people point back to how it connects him and makes him a Moses as he's going to kind of lead people into this next move of the church. But I think definitely we see the peace of God at rest in him, residing on him. You know, I, I can't help but wonder. As Paul was writing the book of Philippians, years later, you know, because in all likelihood, Paul could have been there. Paul could have seen this whole thing happen. We definitely know he was there when Stephen was stoned. He could have been present while he was being challenged and, 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 and uh, accused. I just can't help but wonder, as Paul wrote these verses from Philippians in Philippians um, 3, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. I mean, picture, picture this man sitting, being accused and confronted and, 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 and mocked, and him sitting with this radiance shining off his face, rejoicing in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And he's sitting there self-controlled, even killed, not getting mad and not standing up and trying to defend himself, not trying to measure up for his accusers. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. How many of us have stood before an accuser or people who have not thought that we are all that we think we are? How many people have, have dealt with lies being told about you? We want so badly to defend ourselves. We want so badly to measure up. We want so badly to demonstrate to people that's not who we are. We get anxious and we get worked up and it begins to control us and it begins to help, it begins to change the way we might make decisions and we react in ways that we might not normally react. Stephen sitting there, the face of an angel. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful that you are using me in this way at this moment. I can see Stephen thinking that. Especially, I mean, he's about to be stoned. And he's about to ask that these people be forgiven. I can so see Stephen reacting in that way. It's hard for me to imagine Paul not in some way thinking of him. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These people are looking at Stephen. They think he should be coming undone. The circumstances around him are rough and hard to deal with. Struggling would be the thing that they would expect to see. Squirming under the pressure is the thing they would expect to see. And they look at him and he's got the face of an angel. Peace that passes understanding. Resting in Him. Because He's not living for their approval. His desire, His end game is not that He measures up to the people that accuse Him. It's Jesus Christ. You see, as we pull back from the world and dealing with the distractions... As we pull back from the world and the things that we have bought into and the lies that we have been given, the positive way to move forward, the thing that, that, that should most center, be, be center and focus in our life, the positive steps to take is look at Jesus. Fill your life with Jesus. He is your hope. He is the foundation. He is the author of your faith. He's the perfecter of your faith. See, Stephen, filled with this, because he stands before God and recognizes that where he's at, God's with him. See, a life worth living 
in this one life we have to live. A life worth living is more about Jesus' glory than our own glory. And Stephen understood that, man, there's no telling what's going to happen to me. Maybe he couldn't have said that in a few verses he's going to be stoned. You know, maybe he wasn't ready to be able to predict the future and say, yeah, at the end of chapter 7, there, you'll, you'll stone me. You know, maybe he, he couldn't tell them that. Maybe he didn't know that was coming. But he knew where he was, was by God's design. He knew that as he sat and was accused, it was an honor to be accused in the same way that Jesus was accused. I mean, really, another, another thing to think about, here's Stephen. You know, the heroes of the Bible, so often the heroes of the Bible, we can relate to them and we can connect with them because we also, we not only see the great things that God did through them, but we also see the terrible things that they did that demanded they have a Savior. I mean, I can connect with Peter because, man, that guy denied Christ. And there's been times in my life I've denied Christ. I can connect with Jonah because he ran from the Lord. And for years I ran from the Lord. Yeah, I can connect with Job. Because in the midst of some suffering, I really wanted to know why. You see, the thing is, is these heroes of the faith... And the beauty of the Bible is, is that we see them in their fallenness and their need for a Savior. But Stephen, we meet as a man who had been radically changed by the truth of God in the gospel. He was altogether new. About to become the first martyr in the church that was going to stem or that was going to, to result in the moving of the church from Jerusalem throughout the uttermost, into Samaria and to the uttermost. And it, it, it happens through this work that God's about to do through this man. He's sitting there with peace. Because he's no longer distracted. Because he's sold out to Jesus. And he recognizes that his glory is more important than our own. You see, we don't have to live up. We, we don't have to live up to the expectations of our accusers. Whether they're religious or irreligious. We, we don't have to hear the lies that they tell us and defend ourselves. We can live such a good life that it puts them to shame. We can live in such a holy way that their lies are revealed. All for the glory of our God. You see, I think that we can see in this that a life worth living is about God using us to, and our gifts and our abilities to build the kingdom. It's about God working through us to see His work done in the world. You see, that's a life worth living. That's worth giving yourself to. That's worth giving yourself into and sacrificing of other things for. It's not about seeing God's work in you, having a head full of knowledge, having, having a heart full of love, and sitting at home flipping through the channels on TV, running from the things that God's got to do in you. And we were saved by faith, by grace through faith. That's not of ourselves, that no one can boast. And then it goes on to say that we've been saved unto good works. That He set aside for us ahead of time. That He predestined us to. You see, we weren't saved to sit back and just enjoy. While we can enjoy, we were saved to move forward and be active. A life worth living, it, 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 it lives for Jesus' glory. A life worth living uses the gifts and abilities He's given us to use. A life worth living, it sets us apart from the world. And we live in a culture, we live in a day and age that churches are constantly struggling with how close to the world they ought to look how much like the world they should look, and it's called syncretism. And so they're trying to find ways that they fit into the world. You don't fit. We don't fit. Paul wrote in Philippians, we heard Matt quote it. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we belong. That's where we fit. We don't fit here anymore. But we still have a purpose here. It's not that we don't belong at all, but we belong with a purpose, with a mission. Not to get in bed with them, but to tell them to get out of bed and walk with us. See, that's the idea. It's not about trying to synchronize with them. I watched a video recently. I told you guys last week about the Elephant Room and this series of videos that's coming out. On uh, It's actually a DVD series, um, but there's clips of it being let out on James McDonald's blog, um, Elevate, The Elevated Church, I think. What is it? The Vertical Church. That's right. Sorry. Thank you. One of the guys that's on it has a church called Elevation. Anyway, these guys are together. They're... they're from all over, they've got different views, they, they all love Jesus, but they've got different methodologies of doing ministry. And one of these guys is being given a hard time because at one of his services, he played the song, they, they played the song Highway to Hell. And they're just, man, they're rising. He's like, hey, I'm just trying to attract people in the world, you know? Just trying to make a connection with the world. And I got no problem with making a connection that you might have a voice but we are foolish to think. We are foolish to think that we are not a distinct people set apart by God for God. First Peter. Peter is, man, that's one of my favorite books of the Bible. He, uh, he opens with this beautiful explanation of salvation, this beautiful explanation of the work that God's doing through the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And He spells out this beautiful inheritance that we have. And He, and he provides so much hope and, and, and splendor around what we have gained in Christ. And then He says this after He opens with that. Therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because of the work of the Gospel, therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? Prepare for action. You've not been called and saved to sit on your butt. You have a job to do. You have a purpose in this life. A life worth living is a life worth living for the glory of Jesus. A life worth living is, uh, is worth living not to approve, find approval from your accusers, but to be found acceptable in Christ. A life worth living, it, it sets us apart and makes us distinct from the world. Get ready for action. Being sober-minded, that means self-controlled. It doesn't mean that, well, I mean, you could say that you shouldn't be drunk because that's a demonstration of lack of control. But being sober-minded really refers to being even-keeled across the board, being in control of your life. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have no hope in anything else but Jesus. He's it. He's the only way. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You remember the distractions? You remember the things that draw you away from the gospel and that take you and, and, and pull your focus from what you have in Christ? Those distractions we talked about, that's what Peter's saying. Don't be conformed to them anymore. Forget them. Walk away. But as He who called you is holy as He's distinct, as He's set apart, as He's different, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It's time that the church quit trying to be like the rest of the world and accept that we are different. But we're not different in a hateful or jerk way. We're not different in the, in the sense that we're better or elitist. We're different because of Jesus. We're different because He's done the work in us. His grace is filling us. His power is filling us. We're different because now we have a way to truly love in the way that He loved. We're different because we have the real God as our sight, as our focus. We're different 
because we've let go of the things of the world and we see Him as our hope. We're different because our hope is real. It's not fleeting. It's not wishful thinking. It's not something that I hope that this comes together for me. No, I hope, I expect confidently that when Jesus comes, I'll be brought to be home with Him. Because He's done the work. He's made it possible. You see, that's a life worth living. Standing up and being who I am in Christ. Not pandering and sacrificing of what He's doing in me so that somebody might like me. So that somebody might be my friend. You see, a life worth living is probably going to result in some conflict and some confrontation. We're not meant to be jerks and hateful. But the days of political correctness for us should be over. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to. That's a life worth living. That's going to bear fruit that we'll, we, we may never even know about till the end. You see, a life worth living, it results in God's power at work in us. And it becomes evident to the world around us as His work flows through us. Stephen, man of God, not sitting at home on a couch, out letting God's, flow, God's work flow through him. And the reason that, that, that people could see that he was a man of faith, that he was a man filled by the Spirit, that he was a man of good repute, was because God's work was evident in him. Jesus tells us, well, you'll, you'll know my disciples by the fruit, that the fruit of our lives will, will demonstrate really who we are. Stephen, it was obvious. And see, and so a, a life, I think a life worth living in, it results in God's power at work in us, becoming evident to the world around us as it flows through us. That means that you take time to understand what He's doing in your life. Take time and take a, take a risk. Take, step out on faith and, and, and think, Man, God, I don't know if, if you're really gifting me to do this, but, but I've got a desire to meet with these people, to tell them about what you've done in my life. Take, take a risk and see if, see if God doesn't follow through. And see, see if it doesn't so happen that he, he uses His power through you to affect someone else's life. Honestly, the only life I wouldn't live anymore, the only life I think that's worthy of living is founded in and centered on the person and work of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I think that I'm standing next to Stephen as I recognize him as being the end game. I'm not here to tell you that, that I've got it all figured out or that I don't still struggle with distractions. I absolutely do. But I can tell you with honesty that as I thought about this and prepared through this message and as, as I looked at my life, I have come to a place that, that I feel strongly that he is doing a work not trying to be proud, not trying to be boastful, except that He is doing a work. And He has called us to something special that will bring eternal and lasting results. I just want to ask you, if you'll live that life with me, we have one life to live. One. Will you get up with me and walk with me? And as I follow Christ, you follow me. And the things that you see in my life that are, that, 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 that are in agreement with the Scripture and are in agreement with, with the teachings of God, would you follow that example?
got one life to live. As I walk towards Christ, will you walk with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making yourself known, for coming to save, for not forgetting us and leaving us here to to fend for ourselves, but that you came in and dwelt among us, put on flesh, lived here. Father, thank you that you're building this church, that you're connecting us, that you're giving us a work to do. Father, I thank you for the stories that I've heard even just this week in, in response to last week's message, in response to what's, what's going on amongst the, the, people, the, the, the groups of people gathering and, and hearing your word and how they're being encouraged and grown and, and challenged. Thank you for bearing that fruit in us. Father, give us eyes that, that, that don't just turn inward, but that we look outward and have a desire to share with those around us. as we look towards our hope of salvation and the day that you come back and we look forward to that with great expectation and and confident expectation, may you encourage us and embolden us in this one life we have to live to make it count, to be holy because you are holy, to be prepared for action to be willing to stand in the face of accusation, to be filled with your grace and power and feeling and experiencing the great peace that comes with it. We love you. We thank you for the work that you're doing and that you'll continue to do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.